Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. California Proposition 23 on this November ballot would require outpatient kidney dialysis clinics to have a licensed physician on site during operating hours and to report certain medical data to government officials, among other rules. Supporters, including the Service Employees International Union, say the rules are needed to keep patients safe, but opponents say that clinics already supply relevant data to health officials and that keeping a doctor on duty is unnecessary and would be so costly that some clinics might have to close. We're going to analyze the arguments for and against Proposition 23, and to help us do that, April Domboski, health correspondent for KQED News, and welcome, April. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning to you. And let's just outline, first of all, if we could, April, what this means, because it not only means a doctor on duty, but it also, which uh, leads to a considerable expense, but it also means a change in terms of uh, how patients are informed on infections in clinics. Uh, Well, the change around infections is about uh, reporting to government. So dialysis clinics are actually already required to report infection data to the federal government. And the federal government actually posts a fair amount of information online already. They have a pretty, pretty easy to use consumer tool where you can look up your dialysis clinic and find out how it compares to other dialysis clinics in terms of infections and patients who need to go to the hospital and mortality rates as well. And so Proposition 23 would require dialysis clinics to also report that data to the state government. And the proponents of the measure say that if clinics are required to do that, then they would... um, then they would be required to submit even more information and that once you know submitted to the state department of public health then they could post that information online as well uh, purportedly in an even easier uh, to use format for consumers so it's a difference between the federal and state uh, but we also have a big difference in terms of doctors though it doesn't specify what kind of doctors i mean it doesn't say nephrologist does it it doesn't, and uh, that's that's a concern to patients that I've talked to on on both sides. Pa- you know, patients who are for and against it are actually concerned about that particular piece of the of the proposition. So, under federal law, 
dialysis clinics are required to have a medical director and they are required to be a kidney specialist. There's nothing in that that says how much time the doctor is required to spend at the clinic. Um, and so under Proposition 23, uh, there would be a doctor would be required to be there. But it, as, as you said, it doesn't specify that it has to be a nephrologist. And nephrologists, you know, I've talked to patients who've had to go to the hospital for dialysis care and they've seen doctors who are not kidney specialists and they don't really understand dialysis or their condition. One patient was administered the wrong medication and ended up having to stay in the hospital for several days. So, so this is a concern to patients. It's also pretty much uh, true, isn't it, that most uh, dialysis treatment is overseen by nurses and technicians rather than physicians? That is true. And in fact, it's, it's a bit of a change that we have been seeing in healthcare in general. There's a, a recognition that, you know, the expertise of doctors is, is not required for every single, you know, health task that there is to do. You know, we don't have doctors drawing blood or, you know, checking your blood pressure. You know, there's a recognition that there's just not enough doctors to go around. And so, you know, the tasks that don't require the same level of expertise, we have recognized that nurses and certified technicians can can do that. In fact, California has recently just passed a couple laws that allow nurse practitioners in, in some other fields to work without the supervision of a doctor. And this is understood by health advocates to actually help expand access to care, uh, especially in, you know, lower income or rural areas where they may not be able to attract a doctor. And that is one of the concerns that opponents of Proposition 23 have brought up about this measure that, you know, there's just there's just not going to be enough doctors to go around. There is, I believe, about uh, close to 60 percent of dialysis patients in California who are African-American or Latino. And uh, uh, in fact, I heard uh, one patient at a dialysis clinic say in Los Angeles, there are almost as many dialysis clinics as there are liquor stores in his neighborhood. African-Americans, by the way, are four times more likely to wind up uh, with kidney failure than than whites are. So this has uh, this this proposition has a lot of impact on that community and really needs to be seen in that light. Um, but it also needs to be seen in terms of uh, round two, because Proposition 23, listeners may remember a couple of years ago, capped on profits for dialysis companies, which are big profits, uh, about $3 billion a year and counting. Um, it's a booming industry. And they are, of course, uh, opposed to the proposition. But Let's talk about the union's role in this. Some would say special interest versus a union. I know that's simplifying it, but they failed two years ago and they failed to organize uh, dialysis workers. So what's what's the stake of the unions now? Right. So at the core of this measure is a labor dispute. So uh, for about four or five years now, SEIU has been trying to organize uh, clinicians or the nurses and technicians at dialysis clinics. and. Um, they have they have not been successful. And SEIU actually has a long history of using the ballot box uh, to try to gain leverage in negotiations with healthcare employers. We've seen them do it with, you know, hospitals where, you know, they're they're just not liking what they're hearing at the bargaining table. They'll put a proposition on the ballot, the hospital will cave, and then they'll take the measure off the ballot. And so we're seeing a, something similar here. So in 2018, as you said, 
the union put a measure on the ballot that was aimed at uh, reducing, you know, limiting the revenues that these uh, dialysis companies could bring in. And when that failed, you know, they went back to the table pretty much right away and said, okay, what's our, what's our next measure? And, uh, you know, if people recall in 2018, that proposition was, it was very confusing for, uh, you know, voters to understand. And so the union this time around, you know, admittedly wanted to come up with something that was going to be easier for voters to understand. And, you know, the concept of having a doctor on site at all times sounds good to a lot of voters. And, and so, forgive me, April, didn't they also say that they're doing this for the dialysis workers, uh, even though they're not organizing? Uh, they said publicly they're not organizing or trying to organize them as they had been. So, so they have said, you know, we OK, we've been trying for four or five years. We give up on the organizing front. But, you know, we've learned a lot about dialysis clinics along the way. And we're not happy with you know what we see there. And so they're saying, you know, we're doing this for the patients. We, you know, what we see, we don't like, and we think that this measure is going to, you know, be the way to, uh, you know, force clinics to do things that are, that are better for patients to reinvest some of those profits into patient care. Well, once again, voters are being asked to make uh, a decision on health policy. We're talking about California Proposition 23, which would impose new rules on kidney dialysis clinics with April Dombowski, who is health correspondent for KQED News. And we do want to hear from you. If you have questions or if you have comments, you can give us a call right now and join us by phone. The toll-free number to join us at is 866-733-6786. Let me repeat the number, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us. On Twitter and Facebook, we're at KQED Forum, or email us, forum at kqed.org. And here's Paul who writes, the proposition allows for the medical staff on duty to be a physician assistant or nurse practitioner, not only an MD. These uh, would cost considerably less than a physician, and a non-nephrologist would be better than no doctor at all. That's the opinion from Paul. Daniel tweets uh, a question, April. He says, why do we need a doctor on duty now and didn't need them in the past? Please explain. Uh, so I think that's a really interesting uh, point. In fact, you know, kid, uh, dialysis has been a covered benefit under Medicare since 1972. And so we have actually had, uh, you know, we have a lot of government involvement and data in kidney dialysis care f over the years. And in fact, Medicare actually tried something like this. You know, uh, patients, you know, back in the 90s were saying, you know, I'd like to, I'd like, I wish I could see my doctor more. So this is something that does come up on patient surveys that patients would like. And so Medicare tried it. They uh, came up with a, an incentive to encourage doctors to see their patients more often. And so instead of, you know, visiting them at the clinic once or twice a month, uh, they were pushed to visit them maybe three, four, or even more times per month. And so, you know, we have more than a decade of data of, you know, how, how did this turn out? And it turns out there's very little evidence that it made any difference in patient health at all. You know, the outcomes between, you know, patients who were seen more or less were pretty much the same. And in fact, patients, some patients who were seen less often by their doctor actually had better survival rates. So there actually isn't a lot of evidence to suggest that having a doctor around more often would make patients better off. Hey, you're referencing, I believe, a study was done with Medicare, but let me read a tweet uh, 
from a listener who writes, I sat with my dad many times when he was on dialysis. It was a large open bay, maybe 20 or more patients, friendly but minimal staff, fluids flowing in and out of people. There's so much that can go wrong. There really needs to be a doctor on site. That's the argument you hear from those who are in favor of this. And, uh, and yet that Medicare study that you were referencing seems to point evidence in the opposite direction. Uh, it does, you know. I mean, um, one of the things that uh, proponents of the measure bring up is is emergencies. You know, that there are uh, times when patients will faint or they will code, meaning their, their heart stops. And, uh, you know, nurses or technicians will have to perform CPR and they will have to call 911. And the proponents say, you know, having a doctor around could help with these emergencies. Well, you know, talking, I've been talking to a lot of doctors who say, actually, you know, a doctor would do exactly the same thing that a nurse would do, perform CPR and call 911. And in fact, doctors don't really do this, you know, on any kind of regular basis. And they suggest they're not actually, you know, necessarily better equipped to handle these kinds of emergencies. And I've looked up some studies, you know, about how uh, looking at this, um, it's called sudden cardiac death, which is actually a very common cause of death among dialysis patients in general. And, you know, the studies that people are, you know, investigating about how to improve that focus on, you know, medications patients can take regularly or having patients use, you know, a wearable defibrillator to monitor their heart activity. So they're they're ongoing, you know, preventative measures. They're not, you know, emergency measures that are going to, you know, take place in in the in that in that emerge crisis moment that are going to actually make the difference. But the other argument that I've seen that comes from those uh, opposed to this proposition is that clinics are going to have to close down, and as a result, you'll have a longer distance to go to get to an emergency. At least that's the argument that has been put forward by the opposition. And by the way, the opponents uh, to this proposition have put forward $93.5 million. That's compared to $8.8 million from the proponents. Let me get Meg on as our first caller here. She's joining us from Los Angeles. Meg, welcome. You're on the air. Hi, uh, former Pacifica resident, but um, I was someone who went through dialysis in my 30s. And as someone, you know, not 40 yet, I find I am just constantly educating friends and family on just that there's even multiple forms of dialysis. And I did dialysis at home and worked through a nonprofit. And even though I am not a fan of kind of the big dialysis companies, I find this a total abuse to be on the ballot box. The number of questions I'm getting, I am telling everyone to vote no, because you know what, you don't need a doctor on site. Because just as you were discussing, you're going to call 911 if someone is having a true emergency. And I just don't think that this is the way to solve this when people don't even understand, like they're making medical decisions for people like me and so many others like me that they just don't understand. And it should be done if, if we really want to truly go about having change with dialysis and what we're paying for as constituents. And it should be done through a legislative body with a committee. All right. I certainly appreciate hearing from you, Megan. I thank you for that call. And April, I'm going to go back to you on this. Uh, particularly like to hear what you have to say about, uh, uh, the, well, does the state have legal authority to require private clinics, for example, to stay open? 
Uh, you know, I think that is a, that's a question. I mean, they, these are private companies. And if a private company says, you know, we don't have the money to operate, then, you know, I think it would be hard for the state to say, well, you have to anyway. But I think the way that the proposition is written is is more to have the state come in and say, uh, OK, if, if you can really prove that this is going to be a financial hardship for you, then we'll give you a pass on the requirement to you know meet the the regulation. But, you know, I think what the caller says is is something that I've heard a lot, you know, <laughs> and we've heard from our president. Healthcare is complicated. And, uh, you know, even as someone uh, as a reporter following healthcare for years and years, you know, it's taken me weeks to really dig into this measure and, and to the point where I feel like I can really understand what it's about and what the potential effects might be. And, you know, it's a it, we're asking voters to make health policy, and I think that is asking a lot. I love the fact that John Oliver actually took this whole issue up and said that um, our kidneys are the only uh, organs we have that are entitled to free health care. They're Canadian organs is how he described them. Uh, <laughs> uh, Pam wants to know, why is this the focus when the whole medical system needs to be overhauled? A good question. And uh, Michael tweets, and maybe you can respond to this, April, why are there so many for-profit dialysis clinics, mainly two companies, of course, right? Sure. Uh, you know, it's an interesting, you know, in response to both of those comments, dialysis has a very interesting history in the United States. It was back in 1972 that it became a benefit under Medicare. So right now, Medicare is a program that covers health care for people who are over 65 and disabled. And it also has this special carve out specifically for kidney failure. And so, you know, everybody in the country who has end stage renal disease is, is has can get the health care that they need. So it's it, it's a very interesting program and experiment, people will say, of, you know, the U.S. in, in socialized medicine. But how it's evolved, you know, when that was passed in 1972, there were 10,000 dialysis patients who needed care. Well, as you know, as things have changed, as rates of diabetes and high blood pressure and obesity have gone up, so has the incidence of kidney failure. And so we now have nearly half a million dialysis patients in the country. And so as you what we saw over the years was instead of dialysis being a treatment that was performed at hospitals or, you know, in small discrete doctors clinics, uh, eventually, you know, companies came in and, and saw an opportunity to, uh, you know, consolidate the market and, you know, uh, maybe save costs on, on operations. And so that's where you saw these two, you know, for-profit companies emerge. And, uh, you know, the companies, you know, you mentioned um, how much they're spending on, you know, to oppose the measure. And, 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 concerns that, well, this would force clinics to close down. And, you know, while we do have a very small percentage of nonprofit clinics that would uh, very likely struggle very much financially with meeting this measure, uh, the requirements of this measure, you know, the for-profit companies, um, you know, together earned $2 billion in profit last year. They both have operating margins, 16% uh, or 13%, which is very, very good for healthcare. So um, these companies are, they're doing okay. And there are various ways that they could absorb the cost, assuming that you feel like this is a policy that is worth it 
They are definitely doing okay, and uh, you mentioned half a million people nationally dependent on dialysis, uh, 80,000 here in California. So we'll continue to monitor this and continue to do election coverage for you in April. Thank you for joining us. Good to have you with us. Thanks for having me. That's April Dombowski, and she's health correspondent for KQED News, and we appreciate your listenership and your being with us. You can always let us know what you think about what you hear in Forum or would like to hear by emailing us, forum at kqed.org. And for all of us here at KQED Public Radio, I thank you, and please stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.